I'm Ebony K. Williams, your attorney at law and host. Welcome to Holding Court, where we analyze the very latest legal headlines everybody's already talking about. We dig into how the courts impact the culture. We break it all down for you, and we go straight from gavel to your news feed. And I promise you this, y'all, every single week, we're going to keep it a buck, keep it 100. Right, Dustin Ross? That's right, Ebony. Let's go ahead and hold court. Let's do it. Happy birthday to you. Hey, (laughs) Dustin Ross, baby. Uh, Happy birthday, my beautiful. Um, I clearly saw you are living your best fucking life in the city of dreams over in Los Angeles. Angeles. Tell me, all I can tell you is I saw some beautiful caramelized legs (laughs) on the Instagram. So tell me how your weekend celebration went, honey. Let me tell you something. At the point that you saw, first of all, thank you so much for the <laughs> birthday wishes. Um, at the point that you saw that picture, um, just know that I was in the hills in Hollywood overlooking one of the most beautiful views I have mm. ever seen in my life. Mm. And I just was at peace. So this was a birthday of peace, happiness, and lots of joy. So Wonderful all the way around. Thank you so much, Ebony. Of course. I'm just happy to see you live to see another day, my king. Thank um, you. And what I love and I didn't realize was it looks like you and our producer, Ashley, are uh, birthday twins. Wait a minute. What? Within the same 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Ashley, yeah. happy birthday, my love, when you, when you hear this. Because you yes. will. <laughs> yes, exactly. Happy birthday, Ashley. Happy birthday yes. to our sis, Miss Ashley Hobbs. Yes. No wonder this whole show is a aligned vibe. We got aligned, birthday twins baby. and shit out here. Yeah. That's right. Newness is wonderful. Newness. I love it. Um, well, you know, it's it was so much going on, D. I know you were giving oh. getting yourself together, living your best life, but it was so much news. I kept my ear to the street, though. It's a lot of shit going on right now. A Ebony. lot of shit a going lot. on. And, you know, I think we have to start... Uh, with the docket uh, talking about the fact that, you know, deep into uh, the the trial week three of Derek Chauvin, uh, you know, alleged of murdering, killing for all the Mm -hmm. world to see brother George Mm -hmm. Floyd. And literally, Dustin, it's like we can't even get through this trial for the murder of this black man without uh, the killing of yet another brother at the hands of law enforcement in the same yeah. damn neighborhood, right down the street. Unbelievable. In Minneapolis, yes. Um, this time, a very young brother, 20 years old, Dustin. Perfect. Dante Wright. Dante Wright, um, extremely close to where George Floyd was killed. Um, this young brother. This was breaking news. Uh, this is everywhere. By the time this episode drops, you know, we will have had a, a little bit of opportunity to digest this. But as yes. we record, does I mean, it's it's everywhere. Yes. Saw it this morning. It it literally woke me up this morning. So, yes. Terrible. And and terrible because of so many things. Number one, this young man is 20 years old. He's Mm -hmm. the father of a beautiful two-year-old boy that we've, of course, seen, um, you know, all over our social media. Look just like him, too. Look just like him. And then they're saying his mother is reporting, Dustin, uh, Dante's mother, that he was pulled over for Mm -hmm. a fucking air freshener obstructing... The view of his rearview mirror. This is all, you know, early reporting. But if indeed that's true, I mean, just outrageous. And it kind of goes back. Remember, we were just reporting on holding court about how New York is no longer going to allow cops to pull people for just the mere odor of marijuana. Yes. Yeah. You know, this is why this kind of bullshit statutory shit has to be removed because right now yeah in minneapolis it actually is you know against uh code and and the quote standing law for those air for any uh obstruction 
to be around the, your mirrors. They cite it as a safety violation. Mm-hmm. But if it comes to be that this young man was literally pulled over and ultimately shot and killed by law enforcement, okay. and the root cause was freshening. that part, I can't. It, it can't be. It can't be. They're saying right now, uh, Dustin, that uh, the police chief in the area, uh, Tim Gannon, uh, or maybe Tim Gannon, uh, Brooklyn uh, Center PD, this is over there uh, near where this young brother was pulled over, shot and killed. He said that the officer pulled right over for traffic violation. Again, it's sounding like it's this damn air freshener bullshit. Mm-hmm. Then, and this often happens, you pull him for one thing, you run uh, his stats, and then you find out there might be an outstanding warrant for his arrest. Now, that could that, we don't know what it is at this point. Does It could be anything. It could be n- not paying traffic tickets. It could be outstanding child support. There's a plethora of things. Yeah. That someone can have an outstanding warrant for. And then when the police were trying to detain him, um, arrest him for the warrant, they're alleging that uh, Mr. Wright, you know, went back to his car. And then at that point, he was shot and eventually killed. A lot more facts got to come out here. But 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 already, I don't like it, Dustin. Yeah. Because let's say he did go back to his car after law enforcement was trying to arrest him for this outstanding warrant. We got to get rid of this narrative, Dustin, that we have to comply with every single marching order a cop commands in the field. And if you don't, the warrant is death. Right. And it's justified. See, that's you took the right. words out of my mouth because this, this is the shit that is so dangerous. Uh, um, I'm finding myself in this weird place, right, where I'm like, mm-hmm. this is outrageous. Something else has to be done about this. Mm-hmm. And then I also feel like another one. Damn. Just Here another one. Here we go again. So it's like I'm being numb to this, mm-hmm. but I'm also completely outraged. And I'm that makes me mad that I even have to figure out how sure. I feel about any of this. Um, yes, we need more facts, but I feel like we know everything we need to know. And what kind of fucking policing are they doing out there? You know the reputation. You're you're in the middle of a trial. Right now, yes, literally. Right now. Right now. So as a police officer in that area, what the fuck is on your mind that you're even in a headspace where you're killing another person when this shit, your, your city is literally on fire. I just, right now. The yeah. levels of, of just, this just, is just, just I, it, it go, you know what it tells me, Dustin, it tells me that this is how deeply entrenched the lack of value of black life really is. And people yep. that still want to act like they're confused. Or, I don't know why black lives matter is a thing. This is why it's a fucking thing because yep. the deep, um, cellular level cellular in which level. so many people, particularly those in authority, Dustin, walk around with no value, yep. uh, no consideration, and no humanizing of black life mm-hmm. such that they can, in the blink of an eye, maybe because I don't like the way you moving, mm-hmm. I don't like the way I feel like you're responding to my command, my execution is death. Yeah. That's insane. It's insane. insane. And, and, and the and, fact and, that we have to live under that, right? We yeah. live under that pressure. Every day. Daily. Every day. This is, Every a, day. This is, I mean, just insanity. To you say know, and I'm going through the reporting our producer has put together here, Dustin, and it mm-hmm. looks like, as I kind of was, was feeling, this warrant that he was being brought in on, failure to appear in court. See? Not That's mm-hmm. not a violent offense at all. No. Now, and we don't know, you know, later in the show, we're going to have an Excellent conversation with a, ge- a dear sister of mine, my sorority sister, Skiwi, 
uh, uh, <laughs> yes. sore, but but more uh, to the germaneness of this show, Dustin. This is a sitting court judge uh, in North Carolina. Her name is Judge Shamika Reinhardt, and she's talking about some of these daily interactions we see in the courtroom. Failure to appear, that's like the most common thing you could get a warrant out for. Yeah. Okay, and again, I've had a warrant out for failure to appear before because I missed mm-hmm. a court date in my little my little shoplifting case. Don't worry about That's it. Right. You know, your, your girl is a goon. Your yep. girl is a goon. Okay, <laughs> people, you, they better ask about me, Dustin. They better ask about me. Um, but no, for real though. But you know, failure to appear that could be traffic violation. That could again be child support. That could be any number of things. That could simply be he was sick and could not make it to court that day. Literally, that we don't know. Yep. The circumstances, but to try to bring a man into custody for a failure to appear warrant and he ends up dead behind it, yeah. unacceptable. Unacceptable. Uh, un-American. Un-American. Un-fucking American, right? Un-American. Um, so listen, we're going to, you know, obviously stay up to date on this as it continues, but right now, um, this is this is a tragedy. Uh, as we speak, Dustin, people are in the streets, as they should be. They are protesting. Uh, they are marching. They are demanding justice for the young 20-year-old brother, Dante Wright, shot and killed by Minneapolis police. God bless him and his family. All right. I do want to move on to uh, another story that just caught my eye when I saw it, Dustin. I can't wait to get your, your take on this shit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's go on over to Utah. You okay. know, it always oh, fucks shit over in Utah. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. Okay. Now, this is interesting. So, new legislation coming out of Utah that will require all biological fathers of unborn children to pay 50% of all out-of-pocket expenses. And that includes insurance premiums. Uh, that includes hospital stays, uh, the cost of any birth procedure, Mm-hmm. Um, basically any and everything um, that is a cost associated with the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, just a couple caveats before I get uh, Dustin's take. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, apparently, according to this bill, if a mom decides to uh, receive an abortion, if, she, if it's an elected abortion, the father mm-hmm. has no financial obligation at all, which of course makes sense. Um, but if she has to has to get an abortion, either to save her own life or uh, the pregnancy is a result of incest or rape, then the father is on the hook for paying half of those associated fees as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, paternity must be determined. So, you know, so listen, and I say this as a lawyer, I don't give a damn. It's it's always mama's baby, daddy's maybe, until we've got some security around that. These Um, are the facts. These are the facts, okay? Um, So that paternity, of course, would be determined before any uh, financial obligation would be be, um, implemented. Mm-hmm. But based just on that stuff we know so far, and I guess the other piece I want you to tell you want to tell you, Dustin, is this all came about. It's weird the motivation behind the bill, though. Uh-huh. They said, you know, uh, Utah is a very conservative state. Yeah. They hate abortion. They're um, you know, all about taking women's uh, rights to have any say so over her body away from her. And they're saying that this bill requiring biological fathers to foot fifty percent of the cost of having the baby basically would decrease. The abortion rate, because it it would be um, saying that it would be less expensive to just have the child. So by decreasing the financial burden of having the child, oh, okay, their logic goes that more people will elect to have the child. And that's cute and all, I guess, not really. Um, But Uh, but we both know that, right, the cost of having the baby ain't the damn problem. It's the uh, estimated $250,000 
uh, a year, excuse me, to raise the child. Yes. Um, And that's over the life of a child, not including college. And that's an old number. That's from 2015 reporting. That number has probably got to be three or four hundred thousand dollars today. Hundred thousand rather. Um, So with all of that, Dustin Ross, what do you think about requiring biological fathers to pay 50 percent of all cost of the baby? Well, first of all, that's the way it should be any damn way, because 50 percent of the baby is the father's. So <laughs> hello, hello. damn costs need to be as far his, as well. Yeah. Here's what I don't understand. And help me with this logic. Right. Because yeah. Wouldn't it seem to you mm-hmm. like more more people would be prone to have an abortion? Right. With this mm. new law, instead of raising the kid, if you telling me I got to be on the hook legally. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. For this long term financial commitment. Help me un- understand why they think that that's going to stop people from having abortions. It's stupid. Me, it's it not. Raise it. It's yeah. not. Like, it literally has no connection. So I- I'm with you, Dustin. Like, on this, I think it's a good bill. I think that should be the case. That should obviously be the case. That yeah. the, the, the 50% of the biological parent um, that is responsible for the creation of the child, of course. Yeah. You get 50% should... of the fucking. Right. Pay 50% of the bill. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it makes I no, sense. it makes perfect sense. Um, but you know, the argument against for for some quote dads, right, is okay. that well, if it were up to me, I would have her have the abortion. That's the that's the argument is mm. I don't want the baby. But to, like you said, but you did the you probably probably unprotected fucking at that. There you go. You know, so you did that, and now you want to be mad that. The, deci- the decision to abort said child or carry it to term is not up to you. Well, you should have thought about that before. Should have thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm with you. I think I think of course that makes sense that the biological father should be on the hook, but I don't at all see, and I'm not here for any fucking correlation between that financial responsibility and the uptick or decrease rather mm-hmm. of abortion. One yeah. has nothing to do with the other. Absolutely nothing. And I can't, and they really tried it by even leaning on the abortion angle. Utah on Utah. And, and every time they try to regulate and, and legislate morality, Dustin Ross mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's going to be some bullshit like this, you yeah. know, get over it. Mm-hmm. Um, listen, we're going to take a quick break. Of course we got uh, speaking of financial obligations here at Holden Court, <laughs> we got some bills to pay. Listen, right. let me tell you about it. Um, we're going to do that. We're going to come back with a lot more Holden Court. We'll be right back. All right, y'all, welcome back to Holding Court. Um, you know, Virginia, we got some good news about Virginia on today's docket and some fucked up news about Virginia on today's oh, docket. Listen, well, we're going to start with the good news, yes. um, especially for our birthday boy. You're going to love this, Dustin. All right. Virginia now following New York. Come 15th, on 15th state. Put your hands together. Come on. Yes. To legalize recreational marijuana. Wonderful. And similar to the New York piece, Dustin, Virginia is also highlighting and amplifying the social equity part of this moment, That's making sure, yeah, making sure that, um, you know, the people that are going to get priority for licensing for recreational mm-hmm. marijuana di- businesses, it's going to go to people that were disproportionately affected by incarceration around I marijuana, of course, and HBCU graduates. Um, and some other cl- uh, qualifications. So love it, love that's going to be great. Yeah, we want to see that those uh, black and brown entrepreneurs that were so um, tragically and, and erroneously and disproportionately exiled uh, mm-hmm. by marijuana uh, now get those opportunities to cash the fuck out. 
Um, and that's how it should be. Good news. Now you're not going to like the ounce though. I I was, you know, you taught me something, Dustin. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Uh In Virginia, the new law allows legal possession for 21 years and older of one ounce or less. Okay. And I know is I I know you really uh, love the three ounces of New York, right? That, that was, was just you know a, a bounty, right? <laughs> this is more. This is literally tons of of cannabis, right? Okay, an that's still a lot. An ounce is still a lot. Yes, it's a lot. Okay. So yeah, okay. this is good. Virginia, they, you know, they ain't as cool as New York. New York said fucking yeah. three ounces. Yeah, right, but right, right. Virginia is doing a good thing with this, and that is more than enough to have a good time. So, yes. Okay. Okay, so, see? Mm-hmm. Learn some new shit with Dustin Ross every day. <laughs> I'm here for it. Okay, so all of that's a good thing. Um, you know, they are really, I have to say, between getting rid of the death penalty, between right. a very kind of entry point version of reparations, exactly, mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. scholarship opportunities for the descendants of American slaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now this, that now the legalization of marijuana for recreational use by adults, an ounce or more, and sp- specifically airmarking opportunities of entrepreneurship from HBCU graduates yes. and black and brown folks disproportionately affected by incarceration of marijuana. I love it. Love it. Now, let me tell you what the fuck I don't love. Okay. I don't love this at all. Um, This was all over uh, social media over the weekend, Dustin. You might have uh, glossed over it while you were sipping on something delicious and chilly. (laughs) Celebrating your birthday. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is uh, an army officer by the name of Karen Nazario. Okay. This brother is an Afro-Latino. Okay. He was actually pulled over by two. Yeah. Local cops. Didn't it piss you off? He's pulled over by, and we see it because this is all on the body cam. Okay. So we see a army officer. I believe he was a second Lieutenant. I want to say Nazario pulled over wearing Dustin, his fucking army uniform, Wearing the the camo, wearing the camo. He's in uniform. If we was all on a plane together, this man would get the first class seat. Okay. That's what he's early boarding. Okay, on the flight. Yeah, okay? exactly. Priority, exactly. Priority. First as one well, on the damn plane. As well, he should be because exactly. I'm not. I'm not doing it. You I ain't. It. I'm not going to the war. Thank so, you for your services, Walt. Right? Very much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> very much so. So here's this man who has served this country honorably. Okay, yeah. and he's sitting in his own damn car in Windsor, Virginia. By the way, two uh, white officers uh, pull him over. And start pepper spraying him, brutally kicking him, and all mm-hmm. in his shit. Mm-hmm. And all this army officer is asking Dustin Ross, why are you stopping me? Why? Just why? He wasn't being belligerent. Dustin. I mean, we can see it. It's on the body cam. Yeah. And he says, rightfully so, I'm at this point afraid to do anything. I'm afraid to unbuckle my seatbelt. I'm afraid. You're telling me to get out? Shit, I'm afraid to get out. I got my arms out the window because I don't want to get killed. And he mm-hmm. said that I'm afraid to get out. And you know what one of these trifling ass officers said to him? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, dude, you should be. Yep. You know, and you know what's fucked up? It, we can't even imagine that that's just some snarky bullshit because what did we open the show with? Hmm. A young black man, Dante Wright. Another one. Was shot yep. and killed in this exact kind of uh, traffic stop scenario. Yeah. Um, so this officer, uh, Army officer Nazario, was absolutely right to say that he was afraid to get out. And so at one point, uh, 
he was handcuffed by police as he as the officer searched his car. Didn't tell him why. Never told him what he was stopped for. Never, never even was told what they were looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was eventually, of course, released, charged with nothing because he had done nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, what I am happy to report is that those officers are being fucking sued, rightfully so. Wonderful. Um, Army officer Nazario has hired uh, attorney Jonathan Arthur, who's representing him. And he said this. He said to unbuckle his seatbelt to do anything, any misstep, he was afraid that they were going to kill him. And I got to tell you, Dustin, with the way the facts in America work, there's a strong supporting argument for the believability of that from his client. Absolutely. Um, this is a direct blow. Where Where's all the people who, you know, country first and, you know, support oh, our all troops? Them patriots. And, uh, yeah, all, all the them patriots. patriots, you oh, know, yeah. back the blue, all of that shit. This man was literally, literally mm-hmm. in his soldier's uniform. Literally. Literally in uniform. And they pepper sprayed him, kicked him and talked shit. So miss me with that. This is a clear case of blatant racism. This is a hate crime. It is. That's what this is. This is a racially motivated attack by the goddamn police. There should be hell to pay because we saw this. Okay. We saw this. Mind you, this video comes out during the trial for Derek Chauvin when we watched him murder George Floyd. So this guy lived to tell his story. And thank God for it. But so often they don't. Exactly. So what the fuck are y'all going to do? Firing these officers is not enough. Nope. They need to be charged, tried. Exactly. Like they, they need to and be convicted, convicted, accountability and, convicted. and they need to pay. OK, so let's talk about accountability. So um, you hit the nail on the head, Dustin. Uh, we saw it. We see it. Y'all, if you haven't mm-hmm. seen the video, go right now. Google the shit. You it's see terrifying. this. this it, is it makes it. your stomach hurt when you watch it because that yeah. really fucked my day up after I saw that. Yeah. It was horrifying to watch that, Ebony. It's terrible. This man got his hands up. You could tell he's afraid for his Scared fucking life as well as he should death. be. You know, and it's like, damn. You know, we hear all the time, like you said, uh, patriot first, America yeah. first. Country uh, first. One country. country. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're all the same. The mm-hmm. fuck you say? Yeah. I cannot tell. This man has done everything right. In uniform for serving the country. He's the definition of the respectability politics that tell us if you do the right thing, if you comply, if you serve your country and get the right job and vote for the right, then you should be safe in America. And Dustin, we know that's not the case. Oh, and you can miss me with that. That's why nobody wants to hear that shit. This is a prime example, a prime example of someone who was trying to comply. Okay. Very much so. Who who had everything that you motherfuckers say we got to have in order to stay safe. And they still were trying to kill him. Yes. So what now? So what now? Um, yeah, like you said, uh, the officers have been fired, but we don't give a fuck about that. That's that's the least they can do. Now, this uh, this second lieutenant, I was correct with that, second lieutenant, uh, okay. Nazario, mm-hmm. he has filed a million-dollar lawsuit. That's Happy it? for him. I know, right? It should have been 10 <laughs> or 20. But so far, it's a it's a million dollar lawsuit. He's seeking this, Dustin. He's seeking compensatory damages. Yes. He's claiming that these two shitty officers violated his first and fourth amendment rights. Okay, so now we know this is a federal lawsuit. See, this is see the dots connecting when we talk to mm-hmm. Sister Shamika Reinhardt later mm-hmm. in the show, we're going to talk to her about the uh significance of making sure that our lens, the black lens is represented on those federal uh judiciaries. Why? Because when this brother who has served his country, when his case goes before a judge, how wonderful 
if his judge is someone they can share in his American experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when he accuses these two uh, disrespectful, trifling ass officers, could have been deadly officers. Monsters. You know, when he accuses them, Dustin, of unlawfully searching and seizing his vehicle in person, of an illegal search, of violating his First Amendment right of free speech. You know, them patriots, quote unquote, mm-hmm. they love to talk about free speech, don't they? Mm-hmm. Um, love that. Until it's us that want to say something. Yeah. Uh, also, these officers uh, had common law assault and battery and false imprisonment against his brother. His, his, this suit is actually filed in the U.S. District Court, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to take place, and it's all going to go down there. And Good. that is also why, connecting another dot, Dustin, mm-hmm. qualified immunity. Hey. We just talked about it. New York City just ended qualified immunity for us at the local level. This is why we have to pass the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, as it currently is written, that has a federal qualified immunity ban in it. So that this lieutenant right here, as he seeks his million dollar damages, can actually get it. And that the damages come from the officers that did the wrong, not the city, not the taxpayers, Mm -hmm. but the fucking officers themselves. Yeah, as they should. Unbelievable. We are going to wrap this docket up with just a tiny bit of good news. Okay. Damn. It is your birthday shit. (laughs) Thank you. I need some kind of right. Damn. And actually, right down the street from where you are in sunny California. All right. Um, One of my favorite beaches when I lived in L.A. oh so long ago was always Manhattan Beach. Okay. Um, You know, I don't like a lot of people, Dustin. Mm -hmm. And one thing I love about Manhattan Beach, it's not as crowded as, say, your Venice or your Santa Monica. Yeah. It's a lot more low key. And there was a beautiful story of black excellence right there in Manhattan Beach that I didn't even know existed until right now because of this new news. Mm -hmm. A black family. The Bruce family, this is 100 years ago, they owned a part of that Manhattan Beach land, and they called it Bruce Beach. Now, like a lot of places, and yes, a lot of people act like they don't know discrimination and segregation and the bullshit popped off on the West Coast. Oh, it absolutely (laughs) did. Listen, right. Um, Black folks were not allowed to just generally congregate on public beaches in Los Angeles either. And so this part of Bruce Beach in Manhattan Beach was owned by a beautiful black family. This um, mm. the black matriarch uh, brought, bought, excuse me, purchased two parcels of land. Again, this is over a hundred years ago. And wow. she opened up again, so entrepreneurial, Dustin. She opened up, you know, a little lodging, a little uh, resort area. And then again, it was all called Bruce Beach. Black families that had the access would come and enjoy a nice, yeah. beautiful summer vacation with their people safely at Bruce Beach. Well, you know, the Klan didn't like it. Shocker. Mm. They would come. They would try to burn up um, things under the pier, um, you know, basically trying to terrorize Mm -hmm. these black property owners and business owners out of their own community and off their own land. Yeah. Well, it didn't work. You know how our people do. We resilient. Mm -hmm. So they didn't go anywhere. And so then let's if, if, if good old KKK terrorism doesn't work. Let's just now go about it the political terrorism way. Mm-hmm. So here comes the city of Los Angeles. They, they, they did this, Dustin, quote, condemned and seized the property. We're going to condemn it. They seized the property from this family. They took their land from them. They then designated it first to the state and then eventually to the city and never, never even acknowledged it. 
And so this property was supposed to go to make like a park and it didn't happen for years and years and years. Uh, it, it was The property was seized under a notion called eminent domain. We'll talk about it on a future episode. Mm. It typically is a bullshit legal doctrine that allows the state to make a claim of exigent circumstances or immediate need of the public and let them literally seize your land mm. and pretty much pay you what they want to pay you for it. And of that's course, typically that's way undervalued. Well, fast forward to now, um, a new piece of legislation coming out of Los Angeles County, uh, this bill, if it is passed, will allow Los Angeles County to give back, not gift, because a gift is some shit you just give somebody. No, mm-hmm. no, no, no. You owe this land to this black family. They will give this land as properly owed back to the Bruce family, thereby righting a hundred year old wrong. Oh, and, man. Yeah. And it's so important. And it's sad that just to do the right thing, you got to pass a new law. Mm-hmm. But that's really what it is because a law was required to restrict the property. So now you've got to pass another law to allow them to send the property back to its rightful owner. Right, to return it. To return it. That's Damn the word. Yeah. To return it. Um. So listen, even that, doesn't that just seem simple and just like it makes sense? It makes no, sense. it's got some controversy. Folks mad. Um. The city council voted around an apology, they voted it down. What? Can you believe it? Yeah. They said, we're not going to give an apology. Instead, we'll just issue a statement of acknowledgement and condemnation. You did some fuck shit and can't even, after a hundred years, have the decency to apologize. Can you believe it? Issue the goddamn apology. What is it to you? That, that, that lets you know how big this ego and prideful, this right. sense of pridefulness that these people, these racist-ass people have. Mm-hmm. You know, well, they stole this land yeah. from these people. Yep. We're giving it back. Issue a fucking apology. It's the decent thing to do. Yeah. And they're talking about, oh, an apology will offer, uh, 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 excuse me, um, expose us up to lawsuits. Well, you're exposed to lawsuits uh, any damn way. Hello. Okay. So that's, that's the bullshit. You know what I mean? And it kind of, it reminds me, Dustin, of every time I have this conversation, or I should at least say oftentimes I have this conversation with white mm-hmm. counterparts, they want to fall back on, why do we have to apologize for something that we didn't do? We weren't here for that. Okay, you weren't, but guess what? You stand in position and you stand in direct benefit of a systematic privilege system that allows you generational wealth, that allows you uh, political power, economic and educational gain. Talk about that it. That comes off of the back of these actions that you, quote, weren't here for. Mm-hmm. So while you don't have to be here for the action, you are very much here for the benefit. Damn it. And when that should be even more of an encouragement and incentive to apologize because you weren't there and you didn't do it, dummy. So just say, you know, we're sorry that this happened. This was a, a terrible thing that took place to, to your family. Mm-hmm. And that we're going to make this right because those people were wrong. Why is wrong. that so difficult for you to do? Mind you, these people, this city council board represents the city. So you you would think that they would be, you know, more inclined to do the decent thing. You would think that they would want to say as a representation of what this city is. You know, this is our opportunity to show what this city is about. Let's do it the right way. But no, no, no. No, you know, you got to force act right sometime. And you mm-hmm. know what's good about it, Dustin? Uh, it's people like me and you that don't mind forcing it. Damn right. Because <laughs> we going to Manhattan. I'm, I'm here now. Hell. I'm, I'm going to say. You should... Give it back to the Bruce. What's the name? The Bruce, the Bruce family. Give yeah. The goddamn Bruce family. Yeah, they took that land. I'm going to Manhattan Beach right now. I'm going to go the fuck off. That's my last, my swan song before I come back to New York. 
I I'm love going it. To Beach. Yeah, I love it. Go ahead and light it. Light the asses up, Dustin. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen, we're gonna take another quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna have from the 14th Judicial District in the state of North Carolina, where I used to practice a couple laws and whatnot. Yes. Judge Shamika Reinhardt. We got more holding court after this. All right, y'all. Welcome back to Holding Court. Now we've been teasing it all episode long. Uh, Dustin and I are honored. Uh, to have the Honorable Judge Shamika Reinhardt joining us today. Uh, Shamika is a, a proud sorority sister of mine of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, in case you've been under a rock and don't know what time it is, right? Uh, she's also, <laughs> listen, it's winning season, okay? Shamika's been uh, on the bench since 2017, and um, she's just an esteemed uh, woman of the law. I actually had the privilege, Dustin, of practicing with this woman in the courtroom. She was a prosecutor in Durham County when I was working as a defense lawyer. Uh, she, she's the kind of judge that makes you just so happy and proud. They, they're those of us that are operating at the highest level of the game. Welcome to the show. Yeah, Judge Shamika Reinhardt. Hello, everyone. Good morning. I'm so honored to be here. Oh, no. Well, it is our honor. Uh, and she also <laughs> happens to be a good sister of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. So, Dustin, you already know I'm, I'm with right. the shits. Okay. Yeah, you, you, I, I got to have y'all talk y'all AKA shit just a little bit this morning. Just a little bit this morning. <laughs> um, so, Shamika, you know, you have a, a beautiful story. And, and I want to start with that. Um, Shamika is one of the Golden Girls, Dustin. And I'm going to let Shamika tell you exactly what that means. But okay. um, it's, it's extremely dope. Shamika, tell us about the journey of your, yourself and your beautiful sisters who have ascended to the bench. Oh, well, thank you so much, Ebony. So I uh, give you greetings from Eastern North Carolina. And so I was born and raised in Rocky Mount. And so I took my journey, went to um, law school at the North Carolina Central University School of Law. And so it's there where I met three esteemed jurists. And at the time, we didn't know that we wouldn't even be judges. We just were trying to graduate. And so one of the my friends, Camille, who is a district court judge in Forsyth County, loved the Golden Girls. And she began to see characteristics in all of us. And so lo and behold, um, in the computer lab one day, and I did say computer lab to show you how ancient we are. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a test to who's your inner golden girl. And so I was the last to fill out the oh, test. I already know who you are, Shamika. I, I don't know, but I know. I haven't even read this, but I definitely know who you got. But go ahead. Okay. I, you know what? You think you know, but you may, you may. And so it was interesting because, you know, she guessed correctly who each of us were going to be when we took the test. And so I was Rose. Of Nine. course you were Rose Nyland. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Come on, well, she's the one that's still living, though. She's still living. So, yeah, exactly. Oh, dead, but be that as it may, <laughs> the, the rest is history. The rest is history. Um, one of, then I can just you know give you a great rundown. Judge Teresa Freeman is a district court judge in Halifax, Bertie, Northampton um, counties. Uh, judge Camille um, Banks-Prince is a judge in Forsyth County, North Carolina, Winston-Salem. And the chief, we had, you have a chief among us, is uh, Judge Keisha Wright-Hill. And she's the chief uh, magistrate judge down in Clayton County, Georgia. It's amazing. So, as they say, the rest is history. So we represent a diversity at the state level. Mm-hmm. And that's important as well. You know, let's let's be clear. You know, you're recording this, giving us your time this morning, and you're going straight to the courtroom. You know, so this is an everyday thing that you are making decisions that impact the very lives um, of our people and our culture and our community. And, and we can't overstate the importance of that. Um, so just a little background, D, on how Shamika and I met. So this is when yes. I was practicing. Uh, I started my legal career 
in Charlotte, North Carolina, at a mid-sized kind of white shoe firm doing business lit and blah, blah, blah. I, I found it rather boring. Um, it had its value, but it just, it was not for me. Okay. Uh, okay. I'm, a, I'm what you call a talking lawyer, right? Well, yes. I need to be clear, uh, clearly. Um, so I, I needed to, you know, be able to be in a position to advocate for actual people on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So I, I dropped that little six figure gig and I went across the street to the public defender's office. Okay. Mm -hmm. And at this time I'm in Charlotte and I took the pay cut and I, fell in love. I fell in love with standing beside actual human beings who were reliant upon my uh, skill set as an advocate uh, to zealously advocate for their position um, and make a difference in their life every single day. Um, so I did that for a couple of years. Then, uh, you know, had a little relationship situation. Mind your business, Dustin. Don't ask me. <laughs> don't ask me no questions. Um, uh -huh. And it took me to um, to Riley Durham, North Carolina, which was um, Shamika and I both are proud graduates, undergrad of UNC Chapel Hill. So I was very All familiar right. with the area. Yeah. So I I go to Durham and I start knocking on doors, trying to get myself a job, and I cold call a a, a distinguished, um, legendary practitioner of the law in the area by the name of Butch Williams. Okay. Now for those unfamiliar with brother Butch Williams, think the Johnny Cochran of Durham. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. Shabika. Right. Like yeah. he's a lawyer. Smooth Kappa. Yeah. Oops, baby. You know, and you know, wide around, but G wagon before it was a G wagon. You know what I mean? Like right. nobody even seen no G wagons. We're like, what the right. hell is that? A spaceship crunch? You know, but that, <laughs> that's how Butch was in these streets. I swear to you. But he also okay. taught me a lot about community lawyering, right? Mm -hmm. Butch is the kind of lawyer that you come to him with your case, but you also come to him with your life, right? And and he really taught me the importance of if you're going to be a real lawyer for the people, Ebony, he would say, yeah, you have to know the facts and you need to know the law, but you really need to know people's stories um, mm -hmm. so that you can put them in a, a position of empowerment beyond what happens in this criminal case. So it was a really important part of my legal journey. So fast forward, I'm working with Butch actually hires me. I got to get Butch on here to tell you that whole story, Shamika, because it was <laughs> hilarious. He introduces me to uh, the prosecutor, because that's a big part of, of the practice mm -hmm. of law, right, Shamika, is the relationships that you that's have. True. Yeah, in the courtroom, yes, it's an adversary system. And there's those of us that work as defense lawyers. And of course, on the other side of the table are prosecutors. And we have uh, adverse positions in the courtroom. But our relationships that we have with one another, the credibility that is bestowed upon each of us in our capacities is paramount. It's key. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my client is only as valuable and his position or her position is as valuable as my credibility through the, through the eyes of the judges and the prosecutors that I work with. Um, so one of the very first prosecutors that um, I was able to meet was Miss Shamika Reinhardt. And it was not a ton. Even in Durham, and Durham is a pretty um, heavy dose of chocolate city um, as it comes to cities in North Carolina. Okay, okay. But, but still, not a whole lot of black prosecutors, and you don't see a lot of black prosecutors in this country. That's a whole other conversation. Um, but Sister Shamika was there with her crown. You know, Sister had her braids on flex. That's um, true. Right. <laughs> and, and again, see, Tessie, you got to go back. This was over 10 years ago. You yes. know, when so we, if we're literally 2021 still having legislation around something called a Crown Act, right, right, that talks about decriminalizing or or not having discrimination around Black women's choice to wear their hair in a natural state, it was radical 
in many yes. ways what Shamika was doing That's 10 plus years ago. I'm serious, sister. I got to give you your flowers on that because there were all these, these notions of what was, quote, professional and what was appropriate for the courtroom. <laughs> and sister Shamika said, fuck all that. Y'all going to get these, these locks, these braids. And she really carried herself with a sense of regalness even then. I love that. Um, so that was the beginning of my, my relationship to her. And, and I always just really revered the way in which she carried herself and carried, uh, you know, just her positioning in the courtroom. And I remember when she was first appointed to the bench um, and ran for office and was elected, you know, those some Shamika's positions, this is important, D, um, those are elected positions. Okay. Mm. People have to literally buy into this woman's credibility, craft, and vision for her jurisdiction and, and cast a ballot. She's an elected official. Mm. And, and, and her uh, fellow queens, her golden girls, they're all elected. Um, and that's important. So one of the things I do want you to speak to, Shamika, is how important it is. They say you're pretty much like the five people around you. Um, and I really want young people especially to tune in to the intentionality that goes into making sure that the women that you chose to support yourself with in your ascension to the bench were like-minded. Like how important was that in your journey? Well, let me say this, Ebony, it was everything. Um, I think oftentimes when people look at the portrayal of African-American women on TV, I think that they have, you know, oftentimes a negative vibe. And I, and I look at those shows, trust me, I do. But it's important to have people that are going to swim the same way as you. Um, and I say that because for me, I was a first time judge. I was the last of the Golden Girls to ascend to the judiciary. And so I was new. I didn't honestly know what I was doing. Um, and so it was important to rely on my sister judges to give me the pros and the cons about what it is that I was about to embark on. I always tell a lot of the youth that I speak with, I said, well, sh I, if you show me your friends, I can show you your future. Ooh. And, you know, for them, I know that I would not be an elected official in Durham if it wasn't for them. And also you need a set of people that you could, you can be ugly. You can have an ugly cry. Mm. You, if you want to say a few bad words, if you <laughs> want, cause you know, it's not going anywhere. Right. Everyone needs that, That's you know, right. so you don't have to read out, you know, because as elected officials, you have to have the, public face and then you have to have now the public gets my public face mm -hmm. but they don't get my private face and so mm -hmm. uh, you got to have those people that you know can relate to you and you also want people to have that understand that you don't have to go over you know the things that you know they don't understand as it relates to your journey it makes it easier when they have taken the same road as you indeed indeed it's a beautiful thing Yes, it's a it is. very beautiful thing and a powerful thing. All right, so Shamika, let me get your take on this federal uh, judiciary. So listen, it's it's really no secret. This really became extremely clear during Trump's presidency that this man was moving like a madman between him and M Moscow, Mitch McConnell, baby. They yes. were putting them Republicans on the bench quicker than we could even say their names. Okay, the the most aggressive example, of course, was when. Uh, Justice, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed. Shamika, I don't even think it was three weeks later. Mm -hmm. um, they they yeah. were already in the aggressive confirmation process yeah. um, of, a, of a young judge, Amy Comey Barrett, who had hardly any actual practical legal experience. And now this woman is a whole Supreme Court justice. People don't realize this, Shamika. The Supreme, I think people now are starting to get it. The Supreme Court of the United States of America is, in my personal and professional opinion, 
It is more powerful than the presidency. Why? Because it is a lifetime situation. Those a president gets four, maybe eight years, tops. A sitting Supreme Court justice gets generations. Mm -hmm. Okay, you so you you appoint somebody on the bench and they get confirmed, like Amy, uh, who's what is she in her late forties, I believe, yeah, maybe early fifties. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so she's gonna be on the bench. You know, God bless her with a long life, 30, 40 years, possibly more. Okay, so the the level of impact that she has on a generation from everything from gun control to affirmative action to the rights of the LGBTQ community, the rights of black people in this country, Muslims in this country, immigrants in this country, it is uh, cannot be overstated. The fact is, right now, we have nine justices, six out of nine sitting Supreme Court justices right now are uh, appointed by Republican presidents, only three by Democrats. And one of those three, Shamika, is Stephen Breyer. And, and the gentleman is, is, God bless his soul, he's, he's, a, he's up in age. I want to start by asking your opinion. There's a lot of progressive talk and movement around asking this man to go ahead and retire. Now, people need to know this. And I take it seriously. When you earn your spot, and everybody for the most part certainly earns their spot to sit on the Supreme Court of the United States of America, it's a lifetime appointment, which means you get to decide if and when you retire. But people are feeling like Shamika, in light of what happened with Justice Ginsburg, she kind of, you know, died in a way that maybe wasn't so expected or whatever. Now, I know people, and I was one of them, Shamika, that was advocating for her and uh, President Obama to make some kind of deal and a plan for her ass to go ahead and retire so he could put another young, vibrant uh, judge on the bench for a lifetime. It didn't happen. Um, she died on the bench. Trump got the appointment. It is what it is. Do you think, Shamika, that uh, Justice Stephen Breyer should step down at this juncture? Or do you believe that it's something that we need to just leave alone, stay in our place, and let this man decide to retire as he chooses? Let me say this. So first of all, I want to just bring to the conversation that I think what you're talking about, Ebony, is the restoration of integrity in the in the court system. And I think that a lot of people, based on the racial injustices and racial inequities as it relates to the treatment of people of color and other people, um, it has eroded somewhat. Mm. And I think I think back with respect to when President Obama uh, attempted, he had made the nominee of Merrick Garland yes. to the Supreme Court, and his nominee did not even get through. He didn't even get any type of Senate confirmation hearing. Didn't even get a hearing. Right. We didn't get a hearing. And, 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 but then when you have, you know, just like you stated, Justice Ginsburg, see, I don't even think we had notice of her death until 24 hours. There was talks about her replacement or who would oh, yes. take her, her seat. And I think that that goes towards um, the eroding of the integrity and the confidence of the American people with respect to fairness in the court system. So I think we have to be very careful about, about that, be that as it may, respect to the question you asked, I mean, certainly it is an opportunity. I mean, you got strategy or you got letting things organically play. Um, I think my understanding, he's 82. And I'm one of those people that, you know, I worked hard to be a district court judge. You know, yeah. I have mandatory retirement at 72. Mm. Someone said, well, hey, Shamika, you should just go and step down and let the young person take it. I don't know. I think it was something that I could, I could consider. Mm. Um, I certainly yeah. think it is, you know, but I agree with you, Ebony, once you earn, you know, yeah. you earn your position, you earn, especially as a person of color, it, it, it takes 
it's harder for us to get these positions. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so, you know, especially when people tell us to wait your time. And so, you know, just as uh buyer doesn't have that, that issue, but I do think there's a thing, a strategy. I don't know. I mean, I think it's an excellent question. I will say that president Biden has pretty much promised. Yes. The country that, that he's going to uh, appoint or at least nominate, nominate. Mm-hmm. A woman of color. And I will tell you, in the 225 year history of the U.S. Supreme Court, we've not had one. It's and, and and it's, it's, it's been it's beyond time. I mean, I think yes. President, former President Clinton was going to nominate uh, Barbara Jordan. But unfortunately, she passed away. And that was in the early 90s. I mean, think right. about it. How how when, when you look at as an African-American woman in this country who serves on the bench, I know that there are so many talented sisters. Who could who could have already occupied that position? You because, could probably text them right now, Shamika. They just in your phone right yes, now. They, but you know, yeah. and the thing is, but we don't have that chance. And so, how do I tell uh, a young uh, black girl that you know you could be a Supreme Court justice? It's never happened. It's just like with respect when President Obama became president. I mean, now we can tell our young black boys, you know, you could be the president of the United States, right? And there's an example. Yeah. And there's a representational example. Yeah. I don't, we don't have that. And it's kind of slight because it's like, you know, it comes time where the Democratic Party relies on African-American women. In particular. To carry the electorate. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to our issues and putting us in positions of power, then we're not good enough at that particular point. And Ooh. so I do feel some type of way as it relates to that. Because let's just be real. Diversity matters. You know, and it didn't just matter, you know, in the last year or so. Right. It has mattered since the beginning of the setup of this country. And it is extremely important uh, from a standpoint in the judiciary because the judiciary should reflect the community that it serves. And when it doesn't, I mean, most of the federal judges, you know, in most of a lot of the state judges, you know, are white men. Mm. And so you constantly have that particular lens making decisions of people who look totally different than them. And so you run the gamut of having implicit bias, run the gamut of people not believing that they're going to get a fair shake in court because they have someone that does not, they envision, they do not have their common sense of experience, their common um, commonality of experiences. I don't have that issue in Durham. Six of our seven uh, resident district court judges are African-American. Amen. And so... We're real represented. Um, you can go in any courtroom pretty much and you're going to see one of us uh, representing um, proudly. Yeah. All of us. Yeah. But, but like you said, Shamika, that's not something that and, and it's a beautiful thing to witness. But it's unfortunately not something that's commonplace. No, it's not. Certainly um, not. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's, it's a shame. OK, so here's back to Biden. So he has um, so far he, a couple weeks ago, he put out a list of 11 uh, names that he intends to nominate to federal judiciary mm-hmm. because that's of course the only thing the president touches. He doesn't touch state judgeships. Um, so he's he's yeah. put out his eleven. Of his eleven, um, of the ones that are for federal appellate, which is the higher level. So just just so folks know, at the federal judiciary, you're talking about three levels: uh, district court, appellate court, also known as circuit courts, and your mm-hmm. Almighty United States Supreme Court, mm-hmm. and. Like any other job in the country, for the most part, you will send to that highest level through a pipeline. And that's what I want people to really start paying attention to. And that pipeline as to who ultimately ends up on that Supreme Court 
almost always comes from people who served at the appellate federal level. And the fact that we have hardly any right now out of 300, Shamika, federal appellate judges in the United States of America. Dustin, take a guess as to how many are black women right now. Zero. Well, you know, a little bit better than that, brother. Uh, just but not much. <laughs> That's what I can't stand you. Zero, none. You guess two, Judge We have exactly three. Oh, now, okay. what, but three out of three hundred, though. Nah, not okay. It's fucked up. <laughs> oh, okay. No, okay. No, definitely not okay. But what Biden's doing here, and this is a damn shame, y'all. In just three nominations, okay, that he's going to make, according to his Slater list, um, of black women, all three of his federal uh, appellate nominees are black women. That's interesting. That's important, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, And if they all make confirmation, y'all, in one sweeping slate, he'll have doubled the number of black women that sit at the appellate uh, judiciary at the federal level. So we'll go from three to six. Yeah, and and listen, it's not a big number, but it's double. And yes. I think that's what we got to focus on. It's an mm-hmm. aggressive effort to bring about the restoration of integrity that Judge Reinhardt is talking about, right? Like um, so I like that. And see, by doing, but the more black women we get at that federal appellate level, that's the greater likelihood of a black woman getting on that Supreme Court. But like Judge Reinhardt said, Dustin, at this point, we don't have no games to be playing with these people. So now I don't even think that the appointee, the next appointee on the Supreme Court, I don't think it needs to come through that pipeline. At this point, there are so many um, very highly qualified, more than qualified black women that are ready to go on the court. Now, let me get your opinion on this, Judge Reinhardt. Um, I was reading about Suzette Malveaux, and uh, if this was in a piece of, of uh, from Essence Magazine, of course, where black women are the priority, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it looks like she's got a, a various esteemed background. Now, Suzette is Harvard University uh, law alum, excuse me, undergrad alum, NYU law alum, former civil rights lawyer turned law professor. She and her partner, I think the only women of color professors at that are uh, tenured at their respective law schools. She has been considered for many judgeships. None of them have ever panned out. But now uh, many are saying that she could be the first black woman to sit on the 10th circuit. Um, And she would also, she would be, I guess what they call in the game, a double diversity judge, because not only is she a black woman, she is also a proud member of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, Yeah, which is really dope. And it's like, this is obvious to me, y'all. Like, why is this not happening? Like, what's more to fucking talk about? Just make it happen, you know? Um, And there's many more like Miss Malvo. So, yeah, I don't know. I just want to say, like, in closing remarks, Shamika, as you sit and you watch this moment, does this feel... Do, do you feel for the first time, Shamika, that it is really going to happen, that you, in short order, are going to look up with the rest of your black women that sit on various state court uh, seats and see black women on the U.S. Supreme Court, black women holding federal judgeships? Do I feel like it's long overdue? I, I don't see how you can't. As a, a person who sits in my position every day, it is beyond overdue. Mm-hmm. Um, is it a sense of urgency? It should be. And I think that, you know, when you when, when the president uh, made the promise that he was going to to put a, a black woman on the U.S. Supreme Court, I think it's important to understand that you got to put them in position as well. Right. And I think that goes back to respect to being 
you know, we see that DC, I think it was uh, Sister Kataji Brown. Yes. He's going to make the nomination to the DC Circuit Court of Appeals. That's important yeah. because there's precedent with respect to positioning. Indeed. Uh, we saw that Justice Ginsburg and I also think Justice Scalia both Came were judges at that circuit. And so that's yep. a, that's the springboard. And that's so that pipeline. It's yeah. that pipeline. And so I, I do think it's important that if you're going to back up your actions to make me think, okay, you really serious, then I need to see some action. I think that he has basically cooked with gas. The the president, I mean, out of 11, three are black women. Yeah. And I do think that there is, and granted, you have to seize a moment as well. It's unfortunate that, you know, we're the end thing right now. I mean, we never went out of style. I mean, you're the one that's late to the party, not I. Right. Um, right. But with that being said, I mean, this country, you know, 73 million elected the first woman of color vice president. Our sorority sister, Sora yeah. Kamala Harris. Yes. And so I do think that there you have to ride momentum mm. um, and, and moments. And I think that this is ours to ride. And I think that we have, if you look at President uh, Biden, I think that, you know, he was the highest uh, ranking uh, Democrat in the Senate Judiciary Committee. So I think he brings that experience and understanding that, you know, diversity matters. And I think we have to strike while the iron is hot. Mm-hmm. I appreciate his, you know, I'm not, I'm just, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. I'm just going to mm-hmm. speak plain. Please. We need this on the Supreme Court. And we do. Yeah. And, we and do. if we're going to get it, I, I think this is the time. And I think that we also need to yeah. be careful just like with respect to, you know, the same argument that we have with respect to President Obama that were post-racial. I mean, right. you know, you got one African-American person that ascends somewhere and people are like, oh my gosh, you guys have arrived. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> you know, I, I think that, and I, I think that's the, I think that's a problem. I think that, you know, we should have, especially in the federal court system, the district court system, any any system, whether it's healthcare, whether it's um, the media, wherever, education. we should have yeah. education. We ha- Especially with people who are at the table making powerful decisions, there needs to be people of color at the table. Because oftentimes, you're, if not at the table, you're on the menu. I don't want to be cliche like, oh, it's in now to be the new end thing. Mm-hmm. No, no. It, been it should be strategic. It should be intentional. Yeah. It should be deliberate. And it should be uh, sustained. And it should right? be sustained because, I mean, just yeah. like you stated, uh, Sister Ebony, you know, when you're talking about federal appointments, you're talking about a lifetime. You're literally talking about you're able to shape the judicial landscape with respect to the law in this country for at least 30 or 40 years. Mm. And honestly, that is your legacy. Long after you leave this earth, you've made precedent that the citizens of this country have to abide by. That is a huge responsibility. And if you don't have a woman of color on the bench, are we really, I think that does more harm to our judiciary than it ever will do any good. I think that's a problem. Um, and I'm glad that the president is is taking some strides to change that. I do too. And, and that's the thing. I, I, I feel like regardless I, I personally suspect that many of the things you said are true, Judge Reinhardt. I think he's probably had some some uh, uh, reflection, some things he wished that he could have done, should have done better. But get, you know, the best kind of apology is to me, y'all, change behavior. I know that. Change. Right. Be- you can keep that sorry shit. I'm really not interested. It's the changed behavior, which is what I actually see from President Biden that I'm most encouraged by. Uh, two final questions for you, Judge Reinhardt, and then we're going to let you go to your real job. What do you think about executive order came out last week that President Biden has also commissioned this commission to study the Supreme Court and potentially consider expansion 
Okay, this notion of packing the courts and maybe going from nine justices to 15 justices on the Supreme Court. What do you think about that? Well, I did hear about the commission. Um, I will say this. Um, what, what research and, and understanding of the federal court system, there is a huge backlog. Um, we don't have a lot. We need more federal district court judges to deal with the plethora of cases that come up uh, in the disputes for them here. I mean, you got some places that I read in one article that one judge has to go to another district like 113 miles away mm. so that they can have a judge to sit and hear cases. So that in and of itself is a travesty. But I don't know. You know, I, I think I'm at the point where I think I'm very careful with respect to how that can be done, whether that needs to be a change to the actual constitution, mm-hmm. you know, how is that going to um, pan out? I would just like to hear more, quite frankly. Yeah. yeah. Well, how is the mechanism? Because I think, you know, when yeah. you start making changes in this, that you're like, you know, and I understand, trust me, once again, those justices will be able to be on the uh, Supreme court and make precedent, mm-hmm. make case law for 30 to 40 years, which is a long time and those decisions that they make on cases will be lasting after they're no longer here. And so, you know, people are distrustful. You have a lot of people who are distrustful of the court system in respect to their treatment, with respect to not having diversity, respect to maybe where the president moves. And so I'm affected, and which means I just have to carry myself, you know, impartially. I have to carry myself in a way where I listen to the facts, apply the law, but also be empathetic to those who appear in front of me because they're not statistics, they're stories. Everyone has a story. Behind every case, there's a face. I need to hear more, quite frankly, about that. I agree with you, Judge. I I, I think it, it's, it can sound good um, in terms of an instant gratification model yeah. that says, you know, well, we don't like this 6-3 conservative-leaning court that Trump has presented us with, so let's just, you know, ram through, um, you know, several more seats. That'll fix yeah. it. But as you pointed out, Judge, every election has a consequence. So what could feel good around that mechanism today might be devastating an election from now. Uh, Before we let you go, Judge Reinhart, tell us a little bit about what your day is going to look like today. What are kind of like some of the case, like you're going to walk in the court, they're going to say all rise. And then Mm. what happens? Oh, it's fantastic. So this week I'm in child support court. And Mm. so as you can imagine, it's it's heavily here in Durham. It's heavily um, African-American men. Um, who the mothers, oftentimes it's women, who have um, gone down to the 4D office and said, you know what, I need financial support for my child. Mm-hmm. And so I come to court, you know, um, I have an open mind. I think oftentimes a lot of, you know, them may look at me and say, okay, you're going to be on her side. And I'm like, well, no, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you have to be open-minded. And so I have a pretty um, heavy docket. Um, we are behind, as you can imagine, because of COVID. And it's made it difficult. You know, I mean, yeah. coming out and doing things in court, have a mask on, have all this glass on. You just like, court is already stressful enough. I mean, when people come in front of us, they're having the worst day of their lives. And so mm. I help people. That's what I'm supposed to do. I help people. And you may not like the decisions that I make, but if I let you get it out, let you tell me your story. Right. I check my ego. Okay. And I listen and I treat you and I talk to you as if you are human, which you are, then you may be able to take my decision a lot better. We don't need to add to the people's not having confidence in the court system. We need to try to restore it. And then we do that one case at a time. I love what you said, Judge, which is every case has a face. 
And sure. I think that if every judge approaches their work with your compassion and your objectivity, right? Yes, yes, it'll yes. be it'll be a different level of justice in America. Uh, judge Shamika Reinhardt, sister, we thank you. Uh, shout out to uh, the constituents in Durham County. Y'all are blessed to have this sister uh, presiding. And uh, if you see Brother Butch, give him my love, Shamika. I certainly will. Thank you, my dear. We we appreciate you. Yes. Dustin, before we say goodbye to our jurors today, I did want to um, just take a special moment here on Holding Court uh, to honor, uh, again, another beautiful woman uh, with a, a profound and brilliant legacy in the law, and that is Miss Midwin Charles Esquire. Midwin is someone that I often crossed paths with in, uh, you know, this small space of legal warriors, you know, particularly as black women, I would see Midwin. Actually, when I first moved out to L.A. and was transitioning from being a practicing courtroom trial attorney to a broadcasting career, Mm -hmm. Midwin was one of the very few. It was only a handful of black women at that time. I'm talking about 2009, 10, maybe 11 of black women you really saw on air, on national networks, in a legal analyst capacity. You know, at the time it was, you know, Sonny Hostin and Faith Jenkins and, yes. um, you know, just a handful of them and do it at such a level of, of ex- uh, excellence and exceptionalism. Uh, it was a beautiful thing to see. And in addition to her work on air, Midwin maintained her own firm in the city of New York. Not an easy thing to do as a black woman. Midwin yes. Charles and Associates, LLC. And then she also wrote and contributed for Essence Magazine. Uh, she was a proud graduate of Syracuse University as well as American University College of Law. And she even had a fellowship D at Harvard University where she worked under the tutelage of some of the most brilliant legal minds uh, and black legal minds uh, that our, our, our country has ever seen. So, um, so yeah, she was like, the, well, really, and, and I don't say this lightly, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of wonderful, mm-hmm. brilliant legal minds out there and a lot of black women lawyers out there. But, but Midwin really was a cut above. Man. I'm very, very serious. And, you know, I, I don't really believe in living with a lot of regrets um, when we lose the the, the the giants among us. But I do have a regret on this, Dustin. I wish I would have picked up the phone. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a close personal relationship with Midwin. Like I said, it was more of a revering of this woman's skill set yeah. as, as a peer and a colleague. For sure. Um, and I would see her at Sirius XM radio and we would both be doing hits or interviews. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, hey, sister, you know, you're looking yeah. fantastic and we should get up and we should do lunch and we should do this. And, and you know, Dustin, we never did it. Yep. And um, and I hate that. And yep. I, I, I do wish that I'd had the opportunity and I'd taken the opportunity. Let me wear this and own this. Right. Mm-hmm. To um, to take this woman out and let her know what her example meant um, for, for me personally when I was aspiring to and let her know that even in the the, the reality of where we are today in the business, she really remained top of the field, wow. you know, really, truly. Um, and again, I, I wish I could have conveyed that to her. Yeah. And, and something else I wish that could have been conveyed to her was um, an honoring and an acknowledgement and a true valuing of this woman's skill set, Dustin Ross, mm. by the networks that used her talent. <laughs> Okay, because I do find it interesting, and and there's been a lot of tributes about Midwin as well as should be, yes. but but some of the framing of some of these tributes, oh, you know, she was a frequent guest on CNN and a frequent guest on MSNBC, and she was, but why wasn't she a formalized, contractually paid contributor to these networks, Dustin? That part, that part, you know, gave so much to them, gave so, so much. much. I mean, I'm talking about on a weekly Probably. basis. Yeah. yeah, this was not pop up a couple times a month. 
pop up a couple times a year. I get that. We all got to pay our dues and do one-offs. Midwin had been paying dues for over 12, 15 years on national television. Man. Unacceptable. So what I do hope in this moment is that we all, and then this industry and the giants that sit atop the industry, the gatekeepers, D, you know who I'm talking about? These executives, these talent execs, these um, business affairs offices. Um, If you love the talent so much and you revere what they give your network and your platform by way of credibility, by way of diversity, by way of amplification, strength, grace, and excellence, Mm -hmm. honor them while they're here as well and respect them with the proper paid capacity. Seriously. It's important. You know, Dustin, the the industry did love on Midwin as we should. Uh, Joanne Reed, Sonny Hostin, Don Lemon, Reverend Al Sharpton, uh, Roland Mar- I mean, just, you know, the list goes on. It was a beautiful piece written in the griot by a friend of Holden Court Show and a personal friend of mine, Dr. Jason Johnson. Yes. Um, and, and he said this. I'm just going to read this quote and I'm going to leave it here. Um, Jason said this. I met Midwin Charles in 2015 at the place where almost every black person in media met each other at some point or another, Roland Martin's former TV one show news one. Now <laughs> we, we didn't all been in that motherfucking green room. That's big facts. Okay. Uh, Jason didn't say all that. That's me. Okay. Here, here go Jason again. Um, I had seen Midwood on television before. And in the wake of the Trayvon Martin killing and the Ferguson uprising, national networks had just started to discover what I affectionately referred to at the time as the Black Lady Lawyer Crew. There was mm-hmm. Ebony K. Williams, Faith Jenkins, Tanya Miller, Yodit Tuale, uh, and Midwin. And this whole new crop of young, talented, brilliant Black women lawyers who were suddenly all over television screen, pushing into that space that had been exclusively for white guys in expensive suits until then. Um, wow. And I think Jason just nailed it. You know, that's what it was. It was, it was an elite uh, sorority of sorts, yes. of brilliant sisters. And I, I, I couldn't close this show that's all about, um, you know, what we do every week, Dustin, which is spreading uh, the knowledge and the power of better understanding law and justice so our people can get a glimpse as to how this shit is moving and operating behind the curtain that they, they work so hard to make sure we don't know. And I want to honor again somebody who did that work as well and did, did it brilliantly and profoundly, and that's Sister Midwin Charles Esquire. Midwin, we love yeah. you and we honor you. Yes. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Well, what a lot. A lot a lot we had to go through <laughs> today, man. Um, I hope you are loving the last days of Los Angeles. Um, I am. I am. Yes. I love this docket and the episode that we had today. It was, it was very well-rounded. Thank you. I think so too. And, and you know what? Congratulations on a new year, (laughs) Dustin Ross, baby. We're so happy that you you see it. Love you, baby. Happy birthday to you. Listen, next week, you're going to really love it. It's going to be an episode all about 420, baby. Uh, We're going to (laughs) light it up. No, just kidding. Uh, We're going to do a whole deep dive (laughs) about all things cannabis and the law. And, you know, that's a really important hot topic, Uh, but we got to stay on to it because this green rush y'all is happening with or without us. It's a lot of money to be made in the legalization of cannabis, and I want us to get every fucking cent. 
That's right. Uh, to help us deep dive around it is going to be uh, one of my favorite cannabis experts, uh, Sister Shanita Perry. So she's going to join us on that. I can't wait to get Wonderful. all your take as well, Dustin. Uh, listen, Juris, thank y'all. Thank y'all so much. Uh, make sure you hit uh, Dustin's uh, social pages and give him some happy birthday love. <laughs> uh, we love to see it. And he got some glistening legs, y'all. Y'all got to see them. Yeah, legs. So- um, it's just so beautiful. <laughs> I'm serious. Shit. I got to get on my squats. Uh, listen, follow us, y'all. Subscribe. Give us a review. Tell your mama. Tell your friends help get the word out about holding court holding court comes to you of course from uppy productions in association with dossie media and presented by the black effect network from iHeartRadio. radio audio services always provided wonderfully by one of one productions shout out to Fela and the team y'all check them out one of one productions.com y'all be back with us next week and of course we're back in session and meanwhile stay safe mask up vaccine get your cards ready i heard the saying is we walk we walking out this summer 2021 waxed and vaxxed that's what i heard the kids are doing uh listen (laughs) i'm here for it dustin ross what you want the people to do always read your terms and your damn conditions thank you birthday boy we'll talk to you soon yes